My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Deborah Eckerling hosts a great podcast called Goal Chat. Deb, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. You can't reach your goals on your own. You need your people. So every week I bring in three of my people to dive into the topic, whether it's business, work-life balance, or something else to motivate them and get them excited about their goals. And where can people subscribe? You can go to thedebmethod.com. Find the show at marketingpodcast.net or search for Goal Chat wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino. Welcome to No Brainer and happy Valentine's Day to my Valentine, Mr. Jeffrey Livingston. How are you today? Really? <laughs> I'm good, brother. I'm good. I, I, I'm jealous, though, of... Uh, Travis Kelsey, because clearly he is having the best Valentine's Day he is having ever. Quite, quite a quite a good Valentine's Day, like, all like, around, right? Like like she wins like the breaks Grammy record history, and then he obviously wins the Super Bowl. Like, could it get any better than that? I don't think so. Yeah, no. I mean, it could, it could. And this is in fact episode twenty five of No Brainer, and that's I think that's pretty close to what the uh, the power <laughs> couple at the moment has achieved. <laughs> it is a milestone. I, w- I will say that it is. It's, sure. it's something. A stone around our our necks, dragging us down. We you know um, how everybody feels like they're releasing a kidney stone when they listen to us. <laughs> 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 But old people is, joke. Old people you know, joke. It is an old people joke. So it is, in fact, if you were listening to us on release day, the 14th, as far as you know, but we are recording this on February 13th. Correct. Uh, so uh, for anybody who's listening, know that the world of AI has, of course, advanced one day since Jeff and I sat down to have this chat. Uh, before we get going, I'd like to remind everybody, please, if you like what we do, subscribe to the show, either on your favorite pod uh, cast channels, or uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to like, to rate, to review, share it with your friends, do all that kind of good stuff, because we, of course, appreciate all of your support. 
we, buh, my tongue just stopped working. You were thinking about the $7 billion that Sam Altman asked for? I was, exactly. What's a trillion? I, I just it's seven trillion. Trillion. it's $7 trillion. What was trillion. I thinking? I, it's like, what is $7 billion? That's like That's, that's like old school internet money, right? But, but that is, I mean, that does kind of bring us back around to, I think, where I was going to start, which is there is, of course, a lot going on in the day-to-day world of AI hype right. and releases and whatever. You know, certainly Google Gemini may some big moves over there. You've got Altman with his $7 trillion funding ask to get into the chip business while, you know, NVIDIA is still on fire. Um, you know, they're still on that rocket ride. So there's a lot happening. Really, they're like the AI company, aren't they? Absolutely. I feel like they're the best one out of the ball. Absolutely, the right? You make infrastructure, you're going to win, which of course is why Altman wants to get in on the chip business. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of that stuff going on. None of that really has immediate day-to-day impact for marketers just yet. Maybe the release of the Gemini model, the latest Gemini model, is the closest to real. Um, But we didn't want to get sucked into all the newsy newsness that's going on right now. We wanted to kind of lift it up a level and talk about something that is you know, sort of a broader topic, but one that is going to, of course, affect all marketers, uh, which is a major change in the way marketers will be able to use and access data. In particular, we're talking about third-party data and the other Google news that's been happening for a while now, the deprecation of third-party cookies and whether AI might be an answer. Now, Jeff, I'm going to hand off to you in a moment before we do. Um, and um, It's my turn, man. Yeah, I'm going to give you a turn. I don't know why I'm like so blah. Oh, you know, we're having fun. I think that's the best part about doing podcasts is that we can be ourselves and people can, you know, really see us and hopefully they feel comfortable being like themselves with us too. All right. So, so should, I take the, should I take the ball? Go ahead. Yep. Grab right. the ball. So before we begin, based on some feedback and our own personal analysis of our first 24 episodes, we're going to experiment a little bit on this pod we have some small modifications to the format. Uh, we're going to bring back a timer. We've used this a couple of times with guests to make sure that we have three of us going on. And our goal is to make a shorter, punchier type of uh, effort. In addition, we're thinking of bringing in more guests as the year progresses. Specifically, we're looking for people that are actually within corporate marketing organizations that already have some AI efforts going on. We want to really kind of bring the real world perspective of the AI wave rather than the uh, vendor hype. Any thoughts on the format uh, shifts before we get on? Well, I would say that our introduction today certainly illustrated why (laughs) we we need to bring our timer back. We've been a little bit all over the place so far. Um, And uh, maybe we'll edit that down in post. But nonetheless, um, I, I think the thing that's important here is we welcome feedback from listeners, right? We're all learning as we're doing this. Um, We've been at this for a little bit over a year. We do want to make sure we're hearing your feedback and that we are making this show as valuable as it can be and as listenable as it can be for everybody who uh, we are grateful to say uh, devotes a little bit of their time to us every single 
episode. Um, so um, certainly, you know, keep that feedback coming in. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're looking forward to it uh, and hope that we can continue to make the show better and better for you as time goes on. So All right. That, so with that, yeah. you know, as I as, with the timer, right? I mean, let's let, like it'll be interesting to see who box first and who box the it'll be me. the episode. I don't it'll know about me. that. It'll know. be me. Um, so anyway, as, <laughs> as I indicated, we're going we're gonna to kind of focus on what really is a sea change that impacts every digital marketing department, um, which is Google's oh. deprecation of third-party cookie data. But I get the first segment. So why is, it, why is it happening, Greg? Why? Because we have a lot of regulation that's coming into place. Uh, we have European, obviously, GDPR and the California Privacy Act, and I've got a timer on here, um, they force basically the browsers, the technology companies, to get rid of third-party cookie data. And that's that's really going to be critical. And Google is actually uh, leading the way. They've already started to do this with a select small amount. I'm sure they're testing to see how it impacts the browser experience. Um, and it's going to roll out as the year progresses. I imagine Apple... With Safari will happen during their developer conference, which is usually when they start rolling stuff like that out. Um, anyway, it's a big change for marketers, right? Regardless of how it rolls out, by the end of the year, the days of tracking customers across the websites, pulling all their browsing data and sending them offer after offer via every third-party network that people seem to like, like Taboola or Outbrain or whatever other network you're using, spray and pray methods of marketing are not going to be anywhere near as effective. And while this approach has been, dare I say, lazy, it has been the lowest cost and effort to achieve a result. So as a result, or as a consequence, I should say, of having to move off of this kind of spray and pray approach, marketers are going to have to really unify their analytics and look at their first party data, which means cooking people when they get on their site, understand who's coming to the site specifically and then serving them the content they need most. And that that's going to require a better customer journey. Um, you know, you have to look at lookalike audiences as well. Um, and you also have to look at, you know, how those audiences are actually functioning. So there's going to be a lot of degradation of content. Also, like another thing that's going to be big from this, Greg, which is like, really going to shake up the go-to-market world is the first touch, last touch attribution game. That's over, man. Like, I, I don't think you're going to be able to successfully, uh, I guess, argue that, hey, this particular mechanism or this particular email was better and got us the most conversions uh, when you have that full customer journey stack. And if you are using that in the face of this first-party data, um, it's going to be really really amusing because nobody's going to know where people are coming in from. Um, and so I think that vendors and pundits are often promising the solution with this already. We see a lot of ML companies saying like, hey, we can uh, unify your customer uh, journey. Some of them are better than others. But to understand the solution, we really have to understand why this is going to force marketing to change, including the impacts of lead generation methods understanding the larger ecosystem of how companies build campaigns and brand and how those efforts come in to an organization. So that again, gets back to the customer journey. My friend, your thoughts. 
you actually made it under the three-minute wire. Let's see if I can do the same. Right, so, I mean, Google's actually, I mean, you mentioned Apple and Safari, but that aside, Google's actually behind the game a little bit here if you compare them to Firefox and um, Microsoft uh, Edge or whatever their thing is called, Internet Explorer, to those of us who are old, Um, right? Because already... Third-party cookies have been deprecated in those browsers. So essentially, what if, what Google's effectively doing is taking this to all, near 100. Uh, percent But it's significant, obviously, because Google is something like 80 percent of the digital ad market. Um, they're a, a a far and away leader in terms of capturing those ad dollars, and they've relied so heavily on the use of third-party cookie data that this is really a game change for them as well. They have to rethink how they're going to monetize. And of course, they'll find a way to win, right? They're, they're not going to lose out in this in this scenario. Um, they're going to argue they have the best AI to do it with, right? I'll give you right. five seconds back. For right, that. absolutely. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I want those five seconds. Um, but you know, to your point, right, um, tactics like remarketing um, using third data to follow people around the internet and say, buy the shoe, buy the shoe, buy the shoe, buy the shoe, or whatever, um, is lowest common denominator marketing. It's the low-hanging fruit. I hesitate to call it lazy, um, but in a world where a marketer needs to do more with less, it becomes an easy and obvious choice. It also means your website doesn't have to work as hard because you can bring somebody to your website. You, of course, cookie them. You have first-party data, but if they leave, right, you know that you can follow them around the internet. There's very little incentive to deliver the right content to retain them to move them one step further down to the conversion path. Um, so I'm really echoing a lot of the stuff you're saying there. Um, I think a few things are likely to happen here. I think that we're going to see, I believe, that we're likely to see in the near term a lot more media dollars going to the walled gardens, right? Where the money that would have gone to an Outbrain or a Taboola or even the third-party sites across, like, say, a Google Display Network, where now you don't have that third-party data to leverage, you're going to see marketers spending their dollars on Google's actual sites, right? Their core sites. You're going to see marketers going to places like Facebook. You're going to see marketers spending with mainstream media properties that have really sophisticated ways of using their own first-party data to target and to make advertising effective uh, while organizations figure this all out and figure out what the right data strategy is. Um, So it's going to be a struggle. I think it's going to be a struggle for a lot of media companies. It's going to be a struggle for ad networks. It's, of course, going to be a struggle for advertisers. Um, And, of course, at the end of the day, the consumer theoretically wins the privacy because of privacy uh, benefits. But remember, I got five seconds back. Yeah, you got that. (laughs) All right, I'm going to pick up. Folks, we use notes and we plan our episodes beforehand. So let me just delete that. Gosh, now I got this thing going crazy here. Um, We need a new egg timer. We got to get like an old fashioned one. So I'll just pick up on the notes and then we'll react off of this. So look, attribution models, which have often been debated, we already discussed, are probably going to go away. But I think what's really most exciting is that we can actually weigh the tools, right? Like when we see the data coming in from our second party, perhaps vendors like advertising companies, which I think you were talking 
about like publications and the like, and we get through that clear data, um, we're actually going to know whether or not that works. We're going to understand whether or not uh, second party and maybe third party emails are working for us because of the direct uh, links and the performance data that we're getting once it's cleaned in a data warehouse. So once we understand like which tools work best, um, I, I think it's going to be really uh, exciting. And we're also going to see some stuff fall to the wayside, things that we thought were important, but maybe aren't in our particular customer journey. So that's kind of cool. It's going to get us, I think, a lot truer to what our customers want. And then the other thing that I think both you and I value a lot is that customer privacy is better protected. Um, people are probably going to enjoy their experience online a little bit more. Uh, maybe some of this predatory targeting is going to get better. I personally feel like one thing that I'm seeing a lot of right now with retail is like, if you were, God forbid, you put something in a shopping cart, man, it just follows you everywhere across the internet. Right. It's just relentless. And, and like, you know, I, I don't know if that's really a great experience. I understand that it's like a 1% or 2% conversion rate or whatever it might be that, and that matters, right? We often think of that number like, wow, I got a 1% or 2% conversion rate on the cart, on the abandoned cart rate. But, but what's that experience for the other 98, 99%? So maybe this kind of evens the scales a little bit uh, and people feel less exploited. Thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big win here. The you know immediate win is for the consumer and I think for the brands that lean into that and recognize that there can be a better consumer experience and that results in a in better brand or company performance, I think that's the win, right? And to your point, you know, you keep kind of talking about the the problem of first and last touch attribution, which is kind of this, I don't want to call it a necessary evil, but a sort of the sorry state of affairs in a lot of cases, right? And there's a lot of marketing that happens in between that, that organizations just quite frankly have they still struggle with how well those additional touches are working right so you know when somebody does a google search and the google search gets you know gets credit for that you know gets that attribution credit but prior to that google search there were 17 pieces of content 14 tweets you know right. or x's or whatever they're called now etc you saw it and you know listen to something on the radio and also saw x y and z and none of that stuff gets properly credited because you're not really doing the you know that kind of customer journey mapping and mapping media touch points against all the stages of the journey um, so it is going to require marketers to be more diligent and sophisticated in terms of how they do that. And I think ultimately that's better for both the marketing strategy and the customer experience. Um, so with that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to actually move out of our first segment into the next. Um, we'll be back with you in about a minute. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. We're back. So I think like now we're going to start talking a little bit about first-party data, if I'm correct. And I know you're going to leave this uh, segment. Uh, folks, by the way, I hope you're enjoying this. We're, again, trying to experiment a bit and get right down to brass tacks. Also, we're not going in as deep as we would like. Of course, we would be happy to chat with you about it. But again, if we're going to try to get this thing tighter in about 40 minutes or less, we got to move. So with that, you know, let's get into that first party data problem and how that kind of gets to that first touch, last touch resolution with the customer journey and how AI factors in. My man. All righty. So we've obviously addressed the fact that third party cookies are going away. The access to third party data and it's our ability to use it as marketers becomes much more difficult, if not nearly impossible in a lot of scenarios. So of course, now the focus comes back to, as we've already said, first party data, the data you as a brand own that your customers generate um, that clearly falls into your wheelhouse. Now, here's the challenge, right? Um, that with good third party data, you've got the, the world is your oyster, right? You've got the ability to understand your customer better, to personalize every marketing touch point better, to really customize the way you engage with them at different points across the entire consumer journey to create really great experiences. But the problem is the typical marketer today has a whole bunch of silos where data is hidden away in hidey holes, assuming you're even doing a good part of tracking data in the first place. So you're still using first party cookie data on your website. You have to. It's required for a lot of the functionality. Like you can't, you know, you can't run analytics on your website. You can't um, track a user. You don't know when somebody's been back or comes back or whatever. You can't do logins and registrations and operate a cart without cookie data. So you've got some data there. But the reality, I think, in most marketing organizations is you've got this very disjointed view of the entire customer relationship. Most organizations haven't mapped the entire consumer journey from end to end. They tend to take a very inward, out to out, sort of in to out approach that the journey begins and ends with us as the company, not with the consumer who's out there doing all sorts of things with or without us. Um, and then inside the company, we kind of struggle with silos where the marketing organization might have campaign data, but the sales organization has sales data. The customer support department has customer support data, um, you know, and all sorts of different things, you know, whether it's the call center, email performance, content consumption, all of this, right? Um, so the, it becomes incumbent upon marketers to really wrap their arms around all of this. And how do you unify all of this data into a single usable data set to truly understand what the company, company, what the customer wants, what the customer is doing, how they behave, the things they believe, and how they're engaging with you as a brand today. So ultimately, it becomes incumbent upon the marketer really to, to do this, right, to do the hard work of you know, creating a single integrated data set. And that also at a higher level requires the, the marketer to 
develop a you know properly um, a proper uh, understanding of the entire customer journey. You nailed right it. Time. You nailed it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, man, God, this thing's killing me. We're going to spend 25 minutes of this podcast trying to turn off the alarm. We need a better answer for this. We'll get this next time, folks. All right, I'm going to just turn this thing off. We're just going to have to, we're going to have to MacGyver it. All right. So moving forward here, you know, I think there's a, a really good point that you were kind of winding into. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like one of my little pet peeves, which is data governance, right? Like, okay, we could talk all this stuff and unifying the data and getting it together. And, and we do that all the time when we're talking with companies, right? But one of the things that we see a lot of is that when you get down to brass tacks with AI, and I'm not any better, most of us are very creative people. We tend to want to talk campaigns. You and I were talking about this right before we got on the pod. You raised this point, and I totally agree. Yeah, we want to talk campaigns. We want to talk creative. We want to talk winning and percentage rates of success. But you tell us to unify our data and clean it up and maybe, you know, take out the trash while we're at it. I mean, that's just not exciting stuff, right? It's really kind of like the blocking and tackling of uh, marketing, right? It's really hygiene. Um and if you get into most enterprises, usually it's kind of like this embarrassing moment when you talk about analytics, like, well, we really don't have it very unified. We haven't really updated our Google Analytics or even at that level, right? Like much less their CRM. Getting to like the real discipline of cleaning up a, a full CRM and all the data and putting it into one place is just a really, really rigorous, hard job. So it requires strategy. Um, and requires uh, formatting, first-party data collection. It also includes second and third-party data collection. How do we get that in? How do we know it's right? How do we know it's clean, not biased? Um, you know, you have to have some sort of help usually to get to that standard and also to clean up all that information because there's a lot of it. Consider a website and getting it all tagged correctly and getting all the metadata correct and getting it all documented and accessible in a database so that basically all the content can be indexed easily. That's a lot of work, right? That's a lot of manual work. Um, and it's very rote. That's why marketers don't like doing this kind of thing. It's time consuming. And, you know, also in most companies, data science teams govern this process, not marketing teams. And the larger the enterprise, the more, you know, intra department activity this is requiring. So, the data governance thing, I think, is just like a big, massive kind of rock that you have to consider. Um, and so when a customer journey and personalization strategy is identified, it's time to put the, the wheels down and rubber hits the road. You, know, you really have to do the foundational work of unifying the data so that you can get to where you want to go. Um, what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, you've covered a lot of things. I would like to kind of build on one thing you hit kind of in the middle there, which is the you can't do this alone factor. I think just like any of the sort of sort of transformation technology driven transformational initiatives that are happening inside any company, this really comes down to the hard human stuff, right? That it's easy as a marketer to feel like you're in control of your creative campaigns, your your ad spend, your marketing budget, even your kind of your marketing tech 
strategy. Um, but this really does require marketers to reach out, become ambassadors to the organization. And that's hard work, right? You need to have the, you know, you need to build political, political the credibility, skills. right? Cr credibility with your peers. It is political to your point, right? I think marketers in a lot of time, a lot of instances I see feel like they have an, they have a sort of, they're holding a, they've got a, uh, you know they're they're holding their hand right you know in the in the in the card game of business because they own certain kinds of data and they control access to that data um, and now they have to be thinking about what do I give up in order to get what do I give up in order to get access to the right. sales data to get access to the customer service data to get access to other kinds of let's say e-commerce data for example um, and how do we bring this stuff together and how do I build bridges to my my data science team and how do I really effectively partner with the CIO who's been telling me no for 25 years um, and then there's the other problem which is even in the best of circumstances with all of that stuff going right there is a real practical kind of frightening reality in a lot of organizations that the data has kind of been um what's the right word, sort of neglected <laughs> over the course of decades, potentially, right. right? It's like a house that's worn down, right? Exactly. All and, sorts of problems. Right. So I think we can't, you can't underestimate the extent to which the CMO or a marketing decision maker needs to be sort of an ambassador for data governance, even if it's not, traditionally something that would fall into their wheelhouse or even into right. their job description. It needs to become that now. Like Absolutely. I, I read somewhere that's a, I think it was uh, one of the marketing recruiters in the area. Uh, they were talking about how the CMO is going to become a customer journey officer. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that's true. The CEO, the COO role seems more like what the CMO is going to evolve and where they have to have this operational governance kind of mm -hmm. approach where they're, they're a resource buyer and allocator somebody that can get these uh, relationships built and get that kind of information facilitated. And I think this is a good bridge to the next chapter when we're going to talk about AI a little bit more. And, you know, here we are talking about all this problem and all this real marketing issue. Notice that AI is a part of the solution, but it is not the solution. It is actually just really a bunch of tools that can help make this easier. For example, getting unstructured data, uh, correctly tagged and meta tagged, there are tools that are starting to emerge that can be used. Now, do you have to hire a professional services firm to do that? Does your data science team know how to use these tools? That kind of thing comes into play. And, and so it's not quite as easy as it would look. Um, but, you know, I think the, the good news is that, you know, there are solutions and there are vendors that are starting to rise up to meet this need. Um, and the last thing I want to say before we move on to the next chapter is that this is a lot easier for retail companies, right? Like retail companies have to have much more rigorous uh, uh, data hygiene to be successful, particularly if they're strong on the digital front, um, not necessarily uh, brick and mortar organizations, but them too. Um, you know, I think like the rest of the, the marketing world that I've run into, this is a real challenge. Like the, most of the situations are that broken house, that broken need, and so as a result of that, I would tell marketers like, hey, man, this is really normal to not be in good shape. So 
taking progress and like setting a standard for where you want to take your data and then slowly getting there is better than not doing anything because it's just like, you know, if you get your windows replaced, that's fantastic. That's good progress this year. Next year you can do the roof, right? Just keep moving through and, and don't, don't get intimidated by that. Oh my God, we have to do this whole thing. Unlikely, unreasonable expectation, but moving a little bit, getting some forward progress is strong. Yep. Progress over perfection every time. And uh, let's see where it takes us, right? Um, speaking of takes and taking, let's take a quick break. We're going to move into our third chapter and really kind of get a little bit deeper into where AI plays into all of this. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Deborah Eckerling hosts a great podcast called Goal Chat. Deb, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. You can't reach your goals on your own. You need your people. So every week I bring in three of my people to dive into the topic, whether it's business, work-life balance, or something else to motivate them and get them excited about their goals. And where can people subscribe? You can go to thedebmethod.com. Find the show at marketingpodcast.net or search for Goal Chat wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. All right. We're back and we're getting into our final segment, which is going to be on AI and ML and how machine learning comes to the rescue here. Uh, I tongue in cheek call this the revenge of ML because everybody's like, oh, AI has arrived. Gen AI is everything. And of course, you know, I'm probably as guilty as anybody with that. It's very exciting, particularly for creative people. But, you know, ML has been around for quite a while. This automation of analytics and um, AI-assisted data cleaning often involves deduping information across data sets, resolving conflicting data sets, information errors, understanding uh, what uncertainties are there within the data set and providing some sort of a, a you know, a, a recommendation or a, a higher probability program to fix those problems. Uh, so Gen AI can be used in this, by the way, as a data cleaning app to help fill in mis missing information, but it's usually informed with ML and ML often trains the generative AI. So you've got some complex AI models and the biggest barrier here is all the unstructured data from content, maybe customer feedback, uh, freeform text, imagery, audio, video, all that. And that requires some human guidance to orchestrate uh, resolving those data sets, training the AI, checking the AI. And, um, you know, the good news is it's becoming easier. LLMs are making that a lot more accessible to us as marketers. Uh, and ideally, when we get to this point, we are better able to understand our customers. We'll be able to look at a journey, look at somebody's data set, and hopefully personalize that. And now personalization, it's like a holy grail thing, right? Like, you remember the one-to-one -one marketer thing from the, was it the early 2000s? Um, Probably you know, even earlier than that, yeah. Maybe the late 90s, right? So one-to-one <clears throat> -one marketing is a pipe dream for many marketers, is it realistic now? It's becoming more so. Uh, but to get there, we have to really uh, generate unique content for each person. And so I think when you have frameworks for the way content is supposed to sound or look or feel, um, and then you can customize based on somebody's unique preferences, maybe based off of uh, preferred colors, uh, maybe cultural background, uh, race, 
you know, even skin color, you know, we see this now with some consumer products where we'll market uh, different color band-aids, different color clothing, the different groups. You know, this is all now possible with Gen AI. Um, so, you know, personalization is definitely coming to the party. I, I, I know I'm running out of time, Greg, so I'm going to pass to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's there's two things as you as you were speaking that I was thinking about, which is, you know, given the extent to which marketing and marketers have focused so heavily on generative AI as if it is this wholly new thing that, you know, is upending everything all at once. Um, I think the distinction between an AI system, a gen AI system, a machine learning application, et cetera, et cetera. Like that distinction starts to go away because all of these things need to work together, right? Generative AI is great with things like pattern recognition, but without solid underlying machine learning models um, that have, you know, that are, you know, being applied against your hopefully robust data set it's nothing but undifferentiated data, right? Um, and you're not going to get the kinds of insights you need. But the thing that really jumped out at me in terms of what you were talking about, and I'm kind of riffing here and taking it to like the next level, I guess, but I think you touched on it a bit, is all of this is for naught if it isn't for the right marketing strategy, right? Right, um, those frameworks, right? Right, at the end of the day, like there has to be an underlying set of marketing fundamentals, right? You need to be thinking about how well do we under the, understand the customer? Do we actually, have we actually mapped our customer journey? Um, because that for years and years and years, I remember Brian Solis years ago, for example, I think he was still with Altimeter Group at the time, railing against how brands had not actually mapped out the, the entire customer experience, even just the digital experience. And we know di- experiences are not strictly digital. They're digital, they're physical, they're everything in between. Right. And I think a lot of brands still struggle with that, truly understanding what the consumer is doing at what stage of a journey, what their jobs are to do and what we need to provide to them in terms of that personalized experience that actually makes a difference for them. Right. So it's it's understanding your customer better. And of course, that goes to data, but it also goes to the human effort of actually mapping that out. Uh, Do we have the right strategy for engaging them? Are we being truly creative with the way we apply what we know about the customer and their needs? in order to put something meaningful and, and engaging in front of them. It's all of this sort of old school marketing stuff, right? Where it's always been sort of like you kind of tip back and forth. It's like a pendulum. Like you're either too creative or you're just data driven. And then everything becomes rote and machine-like right. and mediocre. And it's like, how do you bring these things together to really... Um, be data-driven in your decision-making, let's say, but truly creative in the way you apply the data to make a difference in the marketplace. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good point. Um, I mean, if you're a lousy marketer, this isn't going to help you. You're going to basically be like a terrible carpenter with power tools, which means you're going to (laughs) punch a lot more holes in the wall. That's what I do, too. That's why I'm not allowed to have power tools anymore. But, uh, you know... Like all jokes aside, I mean, the reality is, is the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. AI, and I think this is maybe one of the reasons like why we kind of started a no-brainer and kind of our take on AI is generally like it's really 
a great, a great set of tools to help people. But we, we both believe in that kind of human co-piloted. I'm not really a big subscriber to this is going to replace marketers. What I do think is if you're a data-driven marketer only, this is definitely a dangerous moment for you because this is going to do it better than you. It's going to see uh, abnormalities. It's going to see successes in the customer journey that the data analysts have been missing, right? And all these data-driven CMOs that still don't understand what their customer journey looks like are going to have to like embrace the power tools to get where they ideally were hired to go to and allow the tools to be better than them, or it's going to be a big, big kind of come to Jesus moment, pardon my French, um, you know, and as a result of that, you know, I think that people have to see what these things are really good at, how they kind of augment our skill sets and then play to our strengths, which is creativity, which is operational, which is playing the politics, which is, yeah, resourcing and all that kind of thing. So from a strategic standpoint, I run a good operation as a marketing leader. And that's where I need to focus and let these tools do what they do best and guide them so that they meet my strategy. I'm not going to let them be my strategy. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that in a way leads us towards the end of the show and into like a brain or no brainer kind of scenario here, because that's, you know, the... You know, I think a recurring theme over the course of now our 25 episodes, it seems, is that AI is an incredibly powerful vehicle for achieving the kinds you need to, things you need to achieve as a marketer. But AI is not in its, in and of itself the entire answer, right? So that if you're, and I guess this would be the brainer, that, you know, you should be asking yourself how you can use AI to inform your customer journey, to help you make more sense of the data you have, to help you fill gaps and identify patterns in the data, um, and then also to drive the kinds of executions you maybe couldn't do before, like true one-to-one -one personalization. I don't believe we're quite there yet, but these tools are making it more possible than ever before, right? So as, but at the end of the day, as a marketer, you need to lead. Don't expect AI to lead you. You need to decide how to use these tools in order to achieve the kinds of ends you're looking to achieve. And if right now the end is become a better user of first party data because third party cookies are going away, then you need to be thinking about what AI tools are available to help me achieve that objective. Well said. You know, every time I hear somebody say that the personalization is happening now because of AI or this is the wave of the future, to your point, um, you know, I, I just imagine them chasing windmills, you know, like their dog Quixote, like, oh, I'm going to get that, you know, and yeah. it's just. It's getting there. It's, it's getting, getting there. there. You can but do it, a lot it, more than you ever could. But it's kind of it's still the holy grail, right? Like it's like, yeah, do we actually get there in our lifetimes? It would be really awesome. Yep. I think it will or, or by the end of our careers. Fortunately we're old, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We're not that old. Okay, so let's get down to the no brainer. Um, look, I, I think it's pretty obvious now AI problems are data problems. You can have the best strategy in the world, but if your data is a mess, uh, it's going to be problematic. And now we're getting forced into positions where data is necessary. So garbage in, garbage out, lock in, get your basic blocking and tackling done, going back to the Super Bowl reference to start. 
And no matter what your strategy is, you can focus on data governance and cleaning and make progress. So it benefits your organization to take this first party data moment and focus the whole company, the enterprise, the marketing team, all your players on making sure that we're moving towards a cleaner data hygiene state of being. Awesome. And with that, that actually brings us to the end. Did we get in under like three and a half hours? Did we meet our three-minute marks? Uh, we kind of did, I think, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, certainly, we ended up under forty-five. Pretty yeah, good. Certainly, um, you know, as, as we said at the outset, we are looking for feedback—the kind of feedback that helps us make this show better for you. Uh, so please be sure to visit nobrainerpodcast.com hit an email link uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, if you're too lazy to go to nobrainerpodcast.com, you can use hello at nobrainerpodcast.com and just email us straight without ever having to see our website. Um, but uh, we know you're not lazy. We know you work hard for us and help us to get the word out about the show. So please be sure to like, to comment, to share, to rate, to review, to do all those kinds of good things so that we can keep bringing this kind of content to folks like you and getting in front of people who might benefit from the conversations we have every couple of weeks about AI and marketing. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end of the show. If I am not wrong, Mr. Livingston, I presume. That's correct. What's your favorite Taylor Swift album, by the way? Oh, um, they're, they're all my favorites. It's so hard to pick one. I, so he's, you're so lying. I can't stand her either. <laughs> but I do like 1989. I, I can't help it. <laughs> Grayson actually is a, uh, he's, he's becoming a Taylor Swift fan. He's not big into music at all, but he's heard a couple of Taylor Swift songs recently and has been like, I like that song. <laughs> so I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I will say Olivia, my daughter, as you know, she's yes. like 20 now. Um, even from the early, early days has not been a Taylor Swift fan. So, you know, some people love her, some people shrug their shoulders and we're just two old men. So it's probably not our, our place to even have a, an opinion on the youngins music. I will say that my little punk rocker, Leo, uh, who, you know, is a heavy metal bassist, absolutely, like, basically cringes at the na name drop of Taylor Swift. Just like, <laughs> like, it's pretty funny. Anyway, thank you all, uh, folks. Appreciate it. And have a great day. Take care. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Deborah Eckerling hosts a great podcast called Goal Chat. Deb, tell listeners what to expect from the big program. You can't reach your goals on your own. You need your people. So every week I bring in three of my people to dive into the topic, whether it's business, work-life balance, or something else to motivate them and get them excited about their goals. And where can people subscribe? You can go to thedebmethod.com. Find the show at marketingpodcast.net or search for Goal Chat wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.